Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even Even the the Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode we review one picture book and one chapter book. We started off with books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchable at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod and on Instagram at eventhetrunchbull. We've got a bit of a Christmas-themed one today, um, but Nina's got an exciting announcement first for all of you. Uh, yes, if you like this podcast with me talking about children's books. You might also like my new podcast with me talking about children's books. It's a Moomin's reread podcast with my good friend Dave, who you have heard on this podcast on our episode about dementia, where we read Moomin Valley in November. We're basically reading all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books. It's going to be called The Podgoblin's Hat, and it's coming out on the... 10th of January. It will be coming out on Tuesdays. So this is your first ever full read-through of the Moomins, right? Yeah, so the the concept is Dave has grown up with the Moomins, has been reading them since they were a tiny child, and it's my first go-through. So I'm being very careful not to spoiler myself. I only hmm. read as far as we're allowed to read. I only read six chapters at a time, and then I have to stop. Similar format, I guess, to... Oh, I've blanked on the name of it now. Harry Potter one. The Boy Who Hasn't Lived, yes. Very similar format to that. Yeah, if you yeah. enjoyed that as well. I know I did. Yes, it's very similar in format to I'm that. I'm definitely, definitely excited for it. Uh, so our books today are themed around frosty frolics. We've got an adventure on the frozen Thames in 1788 in our chapter book, A Night at the Frost Fair, by Emma Carroll and illustrated by Sam Usher. But first, we've got the very first book by a little indie publisher called Sojo and Mouse. It's The Glowing Snowman by Helen Goodbarton and Sophie Johnson-Hill. And you brought us this one, didn't you, Matt? I did, yeah. Helen's someone who I worked with as a freelancer. So we both got individually hired by Nottingham Playhouse to come entertain secondary school children during the holidays. So I go there and sort of do drama games and Helen was there doing that too. It was December 2021 that we did it together in a very cool December. So we had lots of kids more or less literally freezing to the ground. Might as well have been a frozen river at some points. But <laughs> Did you do lots of running around games to warm them up? Loads of running around, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. We got them running around and stuff, and yeah, Helen did these little, uh, like, adventures for the little ones, which was a lot of fun, which I think she's sort of written, which I sort of promptly nicked uh, with <laughs> with permission. Then Helen told me about this lovely book that she's made, um, and I've completely neglected to tell Helen that we're doing this. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Helen, we're doing your book. It'll be a nice surprise for her, I guess. There's <laughs> a lovely book about a snowman who gets a literal glow-up, so... He's sort of all dull and left alone and the person who's made him runs back inside and he's like, but I exist now, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah, he's sort of lonely and out of place 
until this sort of little firefly flies into his mouth and sitting in his tummy so he becomes a glowing snowman. And suddenly everyone wants everything to do with him and everyone's really interested in him. And he sort of fibs a bit and says, oh, it's just me, it's just my genes. It's in my family tree. <laughs> yeah, but then sort of thinks twice and thinks, no, that's bad. Well, and the glowworm's still alive inside of him and would like to come out. Yeah, and the debate is literally like, do I keep this thing prisoner inside of me forever to maintain my popularity or do I let it go? Which for a for a little kid's book, a picture book, it's an easy choice. It'd be quite interesting to see like a more middle grade reader like spin off where the sm- mm. snowman becomes like a, a sort of uh, twisted villain. <laughs> well, I suppose a bit of a bit Howl's Moving Castle, right? You got yeah. the, the trapping the sort of life force against its will. But anyway, that's not the that's not the story we have. I think yet. this is often how snow person stories are, though. I mean, I know a lot of melancholy snowman stories. I mean, there's the snowman by Raymond Briggs, the Snow Mama by Jeanette Winterson. They are melancholy, right? In the same way that loads of puppet shows end up being about death. Yeah. Because you're sort of working with these things that, as soon as you let them go, they're lifeless. I guess a snowman's, yeah, it's that sort of... I mean, they are really lonely when you see them sort of standing out in gardens and stuff. And they've got the little hat on and they're sort of like... (laughs) (laughs) Help me! Oh, listener, I wish you could see Matt being a snowman. (laughs) (laughs) He lets the firefly go. The firefly says thank you. And then all of his friends come back to see him anyway and he's like what are you doing man like i'm not interesting anymore i don't have a firefly in my tummy i'm not glowing they're like no you're dafty we liked you because you were nice to us the moral of the story is that it was never about the glow it was about him being really nice and accommodating to everyone and they've given him a present which is my favorite bit about it. it's really lovely yes. it's really nice touch is they've given him like a traffic island sign one of the shiny ones. Bits in the middle of the road where you've got the yellow with the blue arrow to tell the traffic where to go. So they've given him one of them so he can stand in front of it and be glowing. And then his creator returns and says, Mom, look, my snowman's glowing. Actually, what's really lovely about this book, so the design of it is really appealing. Yes, yes. It's kind of a collage. It's a mix of sort of... Mixed media collage with drawings by actual children. They've gone out to loads of schools... And the kids have designed various animals for the book. And then I think Sophie has done illustrations amongst that. And some of it is kind of computer drawn. And then some of it is like photographs. Yeah. There's a bit right at the beginning with like instructions of how to build a snowman. So it's got like a little instruction sheet, but it's still that same kind of different pictures of different things sort of stuck on top of each other. And the fact that all these drawings have been done by kids sort of in schools around Nottingham is, is just really, really lovely. Which is your favourite animal by a kid? Oh, the bear is all kinds of crazy. Not the bear, the deer that looks like the a bear. Deer. <laughs> I love him so much. He looks like he's been awake for about <laughs> 72 hours and has drunk all of the coffee. One of his antlers is like drooping down the side of his face. His eyes are pointing in different directions. I really like the fireflies with their glowing bums. Really, really like those. Yeah, yeah, they're great. But yeah, so there's this page at the back that tells you which animals were designed by... By which child? 
because you see some of the animals from different perspectives. At that point, I'm guessing that, like, Sophie's gone in and, like, imitated the style. But she's been really true to the original design by the child, which I really, really like. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's mad. The whole book is mad. (laughs) Yes. And it's got this, like, bouncing meter that rattles through a bunch of different rhyme schemes, which I kind of really like. It sort of keeps you on your toes. The robin, which was there before, now returned to his arm once more, and looking at him from the handy spot said, Wow, that's quite a glow you've got! And then returned the squirrel and mice, who all thought he looked very nice, with a beautiful glow coming from inside, and the snowman swelled a little with pride, and as they all remained nearby, he found himself telling them a lie. Well, most snowmen don't shine like me. It's something in my family tree. <laughs> they ooed and aahed and listened on. But he worried as he knew it was wrong. And then you've got the pictures of the little animals and it says ooh and ah next to them. And their little mm. mouths are like o's because they're ooing. And then the yeah. ones that are going aahing have got more open mouths because you open your mouth more for a ah than a ooh. You know when you like kids draw pictures and it's like it's more complicated than a stick figure, but the energy it's got is like it's like a sugar rush written down. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, and it's like she's kept that and run with that. Like it feels like it's designed to look like it's sort of been pasted together from different things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like you're in the workshop and you're just pulling what you've got to hand. Mm. kind of thing i mean it's not it's really like it's really well crafted and there's like really beautiful photos and but it feels so accessible doesn't it yeah while he's having this sort of conscience crisis the fireflies are having a little protest next to him with little placards saying should he let the firefly go or keep it there and keep its glow they do look annoyed which is fair it's a little bit like what we said about the year I didn't go to school. Do you remember the end papers on that were all her actual childhood drawings and writings from that yeah. year when she was yeah, six? Yeah. So it's got similar vibes to that. Yeah, but this one's even wider, isn't it? Yeah. I think part of the reason I really love this is like you get loads of projects like this. I get involved in loads of projects where people will sort of do these things where it's like, oh, we've got all of these pictures done by kids and sent in and all the rest of it. and not always, but a lot of the time, sort of nothing ever actually happens with them. Mm. You've done the outreach thing, and that is lovely in itself, but I just love that there's like a whole published thing that has been made out of that, and that's sort of been really kind of honoured and followed through, and the tone of the afterward is kind of this has been made as much by all those kids who pitched in as it has by us. I just think that's really lovely. Thank you for mentioning that book, Helen. Um, well done to the lot of years involved in that that was great um yeah should we talk about really cold winters really cold winters really really cold our chapter book is called a night at the frost fair and it's by emma carroll and illustrated by sam usher it's set mainly at a frost fair on the thames in 1788 so in 1788 and from about the 1300s we were in something that was called the little ice age yeah, And so winters were much, much colder than they are now. And several times the Thames froze over. So this is a time travel story. It's about a little girl called Maya. At the beginning, Maya and her sister Jasmine and her dad are visiting Maya's grandmother, who's just 
moved into a home for old people. And it's kind of a conflicting time. Maya's dad keeps saying, it really is for the best, like he's trying to convince himself. The walls are all beige and they haven't got space for all of Granny's stuff. Um, And Granny's starting to get confused. She keeps talking about someone called Edmund, and everybody keeps looking through her life story and being like, who's Edmund? You know, they've looked at like old photographs, no sign of anybody called Edmund ever in her life, but she keeps talking about him. And as they're leaving, she gives each granddaughter a present. She gives Jasmine, the oldest, like a beautiful jewel in the little Mm. jewel box. And she gives Maya a brown, sticky, hard something in a bit of blue paper. Maya and Jasmine and her dad get in a taxi. Maya's working really hard not to show her jealousy toward Jasmine with this like rubbish gift from her granny. And her granny says, it's to do with Edmund. Maybe you're interested in Edmund. And they're all like, what? You're talking about Edmund again. Like they think it's, I think they think it's just part of her dementia. Like it's an imaginary friend or something. Mm. But anyway, she's very disappointed. And then suddenly she's not in the car anymore. She's in the street and suddenly it's not raining anymore. It's snowing and people are wearing all kinds of weird clothes. And somebody says something about King George. Um, And then somebody passes her a flyer for the Frost Fair, which tells her that it's 1788. Hmm. And she fancies going to the Frost Fair, but she can't pay to get on. And then... This little boy grabs her by the arm and is like, help me, the man in the dark coat is following me, but he won't expect me to be with her. Uh, And he looks at like her hoodie and her jeans and her plimsolls and is like, "Mm, girl? (laughs) Because obviously she's really weirdly dressed for the era that she's in. And she's like, I don't know if I want to help you. And he's like, well, I'll pay your fare to go down to the frost fair. So, you know, then they've got a reason to help each other. This little boy turns out to be called Eddie and they have a really great day at the Frost Fair. They go to the terrier races and do the skittles and they do that weird, what's it called? That swinging boat ride thing. Well, I guess called shuggy boats in the northeast, but whether anyone else calls it that, I don't know. Pirate ships, people might know it as, like the big <laughs> the big fairground boat that swings back and forth. They used to have them down uh, Whitley Bay back in the day. Did they? Yeah, back when like Spanish City was a thing, but they were like down on the beach. Oh, they're not there now. They're having a great day, and then whoever this mysterious enemy is, is on the lookout for Eddie, finds him and grabs him and takes him away, and Maya's stuck. Shall we stop there? I think spoiling this one's probably all right. Isn't it? Okay. We always spoil the picture books and this is not a lot longer. It's like a really nice little story, but yeah, it's not like a big intricate plot to spoil. Maya runs after the man who's dragging Eddie away and she hammers on his door and she shouts and like she makes a right racket. And eventually the neighbour in the house next door opens the window and goes, what are you doing? And she explains, she says, Eddie's being kept prisoner. It's terrible. And the neighbour explains, ah, yeah, he would feel like he's being kept prisoner. Mm. Eddie's actually not very well, and the doctor doesn't want him to leave his bed. And then the neighbour shuts the window again. Maya has a bit of a think about what she can do, and she remembers something that Eddie said to her, which is, people need their freedom. They need to breathe. Mm. So she writes that on a bit of scrap paper, pushes it through the letterbox, and then 
sort of hasn't got much to do, goes a wandering again and finds that she's back in the taxi in her own time. Maybe it was all a dream and she feels something sharp in her pocket and it's that blue papered brown thing again but now she knows what it is because she saw Eddie buy some at the frost fair, it's gingerbread. And there's a note on the blue paper that says, This piece of gingerbread was bought at the frost fair on the Thames, 5th of February, 1788, by Edmund Mulligan. So that's who Edmund is. Yeah. Who her granny was talking about at the beginning. Goes home, she phones up her granny, and granny reveals that Eddie is her ancestor, and that he's sort of legendary within the family for being like a really naughty kid, and that, yeah, that he was really ill, and his parents kept him inside, but... One day after he escaped to the Frost Fair, a stranger wrote them a letter pleading for him to be given more freedom. And it worked. Mm. And they started letting Eddie out more. Uh, Maya's like, oh my God, did he die? And her granny's like, of course he died. It was the 1700s. <laughs> but he didn't die that year. He, he grew up to live a long and fulfilled life and all the more so for having his freedom. Yeah. So what did you think of this one, Matt? It's quite a poignant story about dementia and care to begin with. Yeah. It works really well. That's probably the most interesting bit of it as an adult reader. Like, I'm sure it's it's lovely for kids. Like, as an adult, it's a sort of fairly, like, I guess, paint by numbers, go back in time and learn a lesson mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there's sort of the context around that is really cute and it's, yeah, it's well characterised and it's nice to have that little sort of snapshot of history. Like, I can imagine it being used in in schools like for history in primary schools because it mm. sort of paints the scene quite well and it's an, it's an appealing protagonist i think she's unusual isn't she because yeah. her granny says oh you've got an adventurous brain in that head and maya's like no i haven't i get carsick yeah. on the way to the supermarket i don't want to go anywhere yeah like i quite like that you know because there's a it's great that we've had so many adventurous female protagonists now in kids books so much so that it's become a trope it's kind of nice to have like a more indoorsy girl yeah yeah who's not your typical adventurer hero but having an adventure i thought that was really nice i also really like this is a little touch from sam usher the illustrator he's given granny and maya the exact same hairdo Oh, yeah, yeah. It shows their closeness. The book starts really from the relationship between Maya and her grandmother and how hard it is to leave her at the care home and that she looks sort of displaced without all her stuff and how Maya's always had a really special connection to her grandmother, even though they're not similar at all. But then in the pictures, they are a bit. If you listen regularly and you're recognising the name Sam Usher, it was the illustrator for I Love My Bike and I Love My Cat by Simon Mole as well. Yes. Yeah, it's that same expressiveness he's he's got in those as well. Like, so much movement in the pictures, yeah, which is really Yeah, the movement lovely. is really good. The cover of, of the book is a picture of Maya and Eddie ice skating at the Frost Fair with St Paul's Cathedral in the background and, like, the moon and the stars... And they're just sort of illuminated in the middle. And they're wearing these very different clothes, obviously, because Eddie is wearing Georgian-era little boy clothes, you know, breeches and a puffy collar and stuff. And Maya's just wearing a red hoodie and jeans. But they're, they're posing in the exact same way. 
their two bodies are sort of mirroring each other. It reminds me a little bit of Quentin Blake and the way that he d- draws bodies. Very similar, yeah, definitely. Sort of sketchy kind of... Yeah. Um, and really alive. Yeah, drawn with movement. Like, even the sort of landscapes, the sort of still images of London just feel like loads of sort of dynamism in them. Yeah, there's loads of great detail, especially in the pictures of the Frost Fair. Like, you can see that all the tall ships have sort of stuck in the ice and they're just yeah. sort of in the background of the Frost Fair. Like, they can't move them. I guess they're there now. Um, but then all of this industry that's popped up all along it in these tents and these, like, little fires that people are um, mm. clustered around. And the costuming is so great. It must have been so cool, that. Like, even when it happened regularly, it would be, like, every 20 or 30 years or so, the river would freeze over still just a couple of times in your lifetime if you're lucky yeah that's it so it'd be like something that you like remember your your dad talking about or something yeah yeah it would be it would be really exciting yeah it'd be havoc for traffic wouldn't it (laughs) it's doing some really interesting things with um time travel sort of softly below the surface this book like you get different kind of models of time travel stories right and this is sort Mm. of I guess, sort of predeterministic, the thing that she went back and visited. Well, it's a weird one, isn't it? Is it the sort of Harry Potter memory juice thing they do in the mirror bowl where you're just sort of watching third person? Well, no, because she interacts, she writes that letter. Yeah, so she's the one who writes the letter. Yeah, so then she's always done it because she has done it. Yeah, and the time she goes back to is already as it was because of the thing that she was always going to do. Yeah. I like how subtle the change is as well. I'm going to read a little bit from the book to show like how the time travel's done. I really like that it's not explained at all. She slumped back in her seat. It was raining heavily, the wipers swishing faster over the taxi's windscreen. In the headlights of other cars, Maya saw flecks of white. The rain was rapidly turning to snow, a bit too rapidly. She sat up, alert, What's going on with the weather? she asked, but no one else seemed to have noticed. And then Maya was no longer sitting inside a taxi. She was standing in a busy street, shivering. That's it. That's the Yeah, it transition. doesn't mess about, does it? It just gets yeah. you straight in there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a real sort of bare bones story, which is really appealing. Like it took mm. what well, took takes about half an hour to read as an adult. Like if you were reading it to yourself as a kid, maybe a little bit longer, but it's a sort of easy read in one sitting. It's a really early reader chapter book. It's It could be one of your first. Because the text is really nice and big. And there's still full-colour illustrations on all yeah. the pages. It's a very accessible early chapter book. Which is it's kind of nice because it's sort of like it is written for that. But it's a decent story and you get like a full, kind of fairly full-bodied story for your money if you like like it's not like clifford the big red dog or something right like stuff happens Mm. uh i want to talk about this i don't know if you remember listeners a couple of years ago we did a special on a christmas carol and i feel like this book is emma carroll's response to a christmas carol right i do not have matt's buy-in on this but hear me out if you explain it yeah 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 so It's set in old-timey London, not exactly the same setting, but, you know, within 50 years of each other. It's a Christmas ghost story. The thing that made me think of it is the illustration on page 40. Hmm. 
So it's the picture where Maya's standing underneath the window and the window's sort of lit from behind and the neighbour's leaning out and telling her about it. But it is, if you've ever watched an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, it's blocked exactly the same way. The little boy in the street, Scrooge leaning out the window. Yeah. So it reminded me of it there. And then I thought, Eddie is a little disabled boy at the heart and the linchpin of this sort of Christmas morality tale ghost story. Mm. Tiny Tim is used in a very ableist way. He's just a plot device. Whereas in this, Eddie isn't the protagonist, but he's almost the protagonist. Like, he's a real fleshed-out person. And it's about... Like, he's got overprotective parents, which is, of course, understandable. He's got problems with his lungs. But he's a little disabled kid who feels really stifled by his parents. And having been a disabled kid... I felt really stifled by my parents. Mm. Like That's a real thing. Yeah. Um, have you heard of the concept called the dignity of risk? No. So it's a concept that's used by disabled people primarily, but also in relationship to old people and very young children. Basically any group of people that has to rely on the care of others. Mm. What tends to happen is people will worry about you so much that they will wrap you up in cotton wool and not actually let you live your life. Mm. So the mm. idea is everybody takes risks in their life all the time. You know, you take risks when you cross the road and um, the green person isn't there. Yeah, yeah. Some people take much bigger risks. Some people go mountain biking. Some people jump out of airplanes. And maybe we would look at those people and go, oh, that's the risk is not for me. But that's a risk they get to take with their life, and that's usually a dignity that isn't afforded to disabled people, children or old people. Right, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like the opposite of the Tiny Tim story, really, isn't it? It's that yeah. Rather than, like, little kid who dies and therefore we all learn to be glad how lucky we are. Yeah. It's a little lad who doesn't die because someone tells the people looking after him to have a look at themselves and loosen up a bit and let him live even if it means taking risks yeah and this feels like a book about dignity of risk yeah totally i see what you mean about that picture as well it is kind of copy and paste of the scrooge out the window image yeah solid theory i'll i'll find an illustration from a christmas carol and put them side by side on the social media so that you can see what i mean who's your favorite character probably the gran yeah yeah, because I feel like if I got to a point where I was old and kind of losing me marbles a bit and people looking after us, I'd quite like to take this approach as well. As it seems that some people in that situation like deliberately wind people up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like with what gifts they give out and so, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, here you have this really pretty thing and you have this lump of gingerbread that I'm not going to explain. And then she rings her back up at the end and she's like, oh, what are you doing, man? I'm busy. I'm, I'm tired. She's like, oh, I took your advice. I went looking for an adventure. She's like, right, good. And then gets chatting. But she's like, do you know what I mean? She really has to draw her yeah. out. And I'm like, I've got, I've got time for that. I think it's really funny. She knows she's on her last legs and she's just sending people off on little daft yeah. tasks and <laughs> setting them against each other. She knows that she's being underestimated. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Is that everybody's chalked up all this talk of Edmund to her, like, going a bit gaga, and nobody's taking her seriously. She's just like, right, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like that reaction. It's, it's about dignity of care again, isn't it? Like, not dignity of risk in this case, but 
it does feel a very disability forward story to me and that's part of the parallel between the gran and eddie is they're both people who for some reason are more fragile and need more looking after and who are getting a bit stifled by that care yeah. So she is a bit stifled at the beginning, and that's why she's been a little bit impish, I think. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Eddie will jump out of a window and run to the Frost Fair, okay, Gran can't physically do that, but she will stir the pot a little bit and say stuff that you don't understand and give you presents that make you feel confused and a bit small. <laughs> yeah, definitely. She's a good one. My favourite's Eddie. I related to him so much i mean he's younger than i was when this happened to me but there was a year when i was 15 where i got really ill with my epilepsy such that Mm. i wasn't safe to be out on my own and of course that was like exactly at the age when you want to be out on your own i had to wear this horrible padded beanie hat which was basically like a helmet in disguise so that i wouldn't crack my head open when i had a seizure but it was so hot and so uncomfortable and I had to have my mum or my sister with me all the time and I just remember escaping running Mm. away Mm. and I know you know I feel bad now because I did worry them but I just needed that space loved Eddie so much and I love that he's sort of he doesn't exactly explain to Maya when he meets her he's like oh that bloke in the dark coat he's a baddie and he's out to get me, you know? Like, he frames it as sort of a game, sort of like a cops and robbers thing. Mm. You know, mm. like, oh, the game is we get away from him. Because he doesn't want to explain to this new kid he's just met that he's sick. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to open with, oh, by the way, my lungs are really weak and I might die. Yeah, totally. When you're making a friend. And me dad's after us because I'm not allowed out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Maya takes him at face value. She's like, they're taking him to prison. <laughs> Scaryometer? It's not scary. It's not scary at all, no. I mean, I suppose, like, you do, you are genuinely led to believe that he's being kidnapped at first. Yes, I suppose so. But it feels such a sort of lighthearted adventure story. Yeah. That if he was being kidnapped, like, of course, Maya would be able to rescue him. Yeah. It's just a lovely warm hug of a book. It's maybe a, a one or a two. Yeah. It's possibly our lowest. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Who's this book for, Matt? I could see it being used in schools, like primary schools, learning about Britain in the past, London in the past. Mm. I could see it being used for that. Like, I think, as you were saying as well, like, first sort of read out of yourself. It's very beautiful for that. Full colour pictures on every page. It feels really inviting into that world of a slightly longer story if so far you've been reading picture books disabled kids yeah i felt this one really hard it spoke to me really deeply on that level or even if you're not disabled if you're just a child who would like to do more stuff than your parent allows you to for your own safety that's a real frustration (laughs) that i think most children experience yeah and i think it's really beautifully drawn in this absolutely i think that's it for this one i think so so that was episode 37 of even the trunchbull thanks for listening once again if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid or love now as a kid let us know or ask a grown-up to let us know we're at even the trunchbull at gmail.com 
Catch us on Twitter at TrunchbullPod or on Instagram at EvenTheTrunchbull. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull.